Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Okay, let's get back to normal. It's Sunday at 1714 East 7th Avenue in Ybor City, where it all began. And here we are at the normal time with our normal show from Suncoast Normal. It's the rotation. Let's jump in. That is so inspiring. It's just, it's so good, that theme music. That's like, what, the third time we've heard it today? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and it just keeps getting better every single time. Now, let's, let's introduce who we have here. First off, I'll go first because I'm here. Uh, <laughs> my name is Gary Stein. I'm the political director for Suncoast Normal here in Central Florida, South Central Western Florida. To my right, your left, well, yeah. Is, uh, is Carlos Jose Angel Ermida, our deputy director, our master of business administration, and our all-around good guy when he's sober and high, actually. Oh, hi, Gary. I'm just getting some reading in here. Yeah, you're always researching. What is that book? This is uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. The, the mic's a little far away from the papers, but this is The Emperor Wears No Clothes. This is a very, very important book when it comes to cannabis legalization. You're, you're popping in and out. Uh-oh. Yeah, now you got to work on your phone. And what's wh happening? Well, while while you're figuring that one out, up in our upper right-hand corner here, we have our executive director coming to us from above the Beltway, where he shoots, where he hits them below the Beltway, in Washington D.C. Chris Kano. I got the hey. right this time. Indeed, indeed. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. And uh, you know, I just got to say, Carlos, that book that you're reading there. Uh, is one of the reasons why I have my master's degree in public administration. Oh, really? You uh, you you study this book here, Kano? So I wrote my uh, my master's thesis on uh, cannabis prohibition policy, and if it wasn't for uh, the amazing research uh, that I found in the Emperor Wear No Wears No Clothes and and the other sources it was able to connect me to, uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't be sitting before you today. <laughs> and it's written by a guy who they named a strain after, I understand. <laughs> uh, Jack Hare, who, who it was the official hamperer and, and pretty much the, the father of our movement and the father of our, of our special guest here in the secret square below us here, Dan Hare. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes, sir. Well, how about that? See, I can do that. <laughs> Coming to us from the wild, wild west of California, where he, he, he's been in it to win it for a very, very long time. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a I know you're a little, now you, you have a little bit of a cold here. I, I, I know the perfect medicine for that, but you can go ahead and do it after the show. <laughs> talking about marijuana. Yes. No way. Now, 
<laughs> we, we are going to talk about, a, a, a bit about your father for a while because, you know, he is so much the center of our universe. But I am going to get to questions about you and what you're doing right now as well. But uh, what do you remember about your dad's evolution into the industry? Well, you know, my dad's evolution really didn't, you know, it really wasn't part of the industry. The industry didn't exist and still is trying to find itself. It's becoming an industry, but, you know, from the 1970s to, you know, even the, you know, the 90s and early 2000s, it wasn't uh, what we experience today. Um, it was, a, it was a, a life of activism, not advocation. And it was, uh, it was following the truth of cannabis and its possibilities if we were to be able to become an industry, if we were able to break away from the, the, the constraints of prohibition, if we were able to have an understanding of what this plant could be if we let it. And, and that was really, you know, the, how I grew up is um, being an activist, being an educator, um, first from my father to me and my brothers and sisters and everybody around us, uh, then through my father's book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, and, and then seeing how that ignited uh, other people to find their voices and then to stand up and, and, and find their truth about cannabis and and be able to perpetuate what is still ongoing today which is the the fight to end prohibition and the right to be able to participate in this burgeoning uh economic you know uh development called the cannabis industry i'm the og here and i was one of the guys who was uh getting it from his roommate in college back in 1970 <clears throat> and uh and we were just using it as, as a recreational kind of situation until that point that I decided to go ahead and go to the hash bash one year and Jackson Claire was there and everything was, was just an amazing bit of activism as well as cannabis. And I suddenly realized, wow, there's actually a movement afoot to actually legalize this thing that we're doing in the dark, so to speak. And I, I, had, I had hoped it would have gone faster, but of course, <laughs> during that time, I actually got paraquatted at the... Uh, at the, at the hash bash and so i had to actually quit for a couple of years but it is so great to see how much we've gone we've gone far from a a uh, uh legacy industry where I, I guess we can't say illicit or we can't say black market anymore but uh, uh well, I, I, you could still say that because it still exists because prohibition still exists yeah. oh exactly and in fact the, the black market is actually 15 times the size of the legal market right now and that is is just a fact and we, we had hoped we, we would have segued by now, but of course, we're still fighting. Yeah, we're, we've been fighting for a long time. And of, of course, your, your dad changed the way we fight. Um, you're, you're talking to three guys from normal at, at one point. And regretfully, uh, there was a point where normal kind of uh, turned their back on your dad, right? Um, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> but but now it's it's all different anybody in normal right they talk about your father and it's nothing but the utmost esteem right it changed the way normal operates the way normal used to operate was this is a victimless crime people in jail for marijuana it's a bullshit crime um you know now there's all this information here that everybody has and i'm sorry if you're if you're saying any information about how mar marijuana is medicinal 
or how hemp is helpful or uh, anything like that. It came from this book. It came from this book. Like, that's the yep. reason why we all know it, you know? Um, can you comment about how you, the struggle you're, because at one point your father was against the entire movement. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's really the way, the way it looks like to me. Uh, uh, you know, from where I'm sitting, can you can you kind of comment on the struggle your father went through to kind of change everybody's opinion when it comes to medical to to marijuana, even people for marijuana? Well, I can, I, you... I can tell you, I can tell you that um, m my father had no struggle with uh, with marijuana because he didn't understand it. He didn't know anything about it other than the government and everybody that you know, had educated him as a youth, uh, said that it was the most dangerous thing ever. So there was no struggle for him. Um, the struggle for the struggle in his understanding changed when uh, in the late 60s, he came across my mother smoking uh, marijuana with her girlfriends uh, after working uh, at, at the house where she was raising his three kids. And he walked in to the home and found her smoking cannabis. And uh, he lost his mind, uh, thought that uh, he, he was literally going to have to turn her into to the police, um, which today would be like child protective services, and, and turn her in and have her arrested. Um, I mean, and this was the mother of, of, of his kids. Um, so that's when it became a struggle for him and his understanding of what he should do. Uh, you know, because prior to that, every anybody who was a counterculturist, a hippie, or somebody who smoked pot, um, to my father, should have been taken out and summarily shot. And, and that's just the, his view. And that was just his view. And and then he got high, um, and he was he was encouraged not to turn my mother in. Um, by a young law student that was living in his apartment building and he confided in her that he was going to do this and she called him a fucking idiot and uh you <laughs> in know, a nice way of course yeah <laughs> and uh so um she convinced him not to not to do anything rash and uh for some reason her insulting him uh by calling him an idiot um endeared uh, her to him and he wanted to date her afterwards because uh, I guess men like to be abused uh, on some cases, in some cases. And so he spent the next few months um, trying to win her affections and she said, hey, I can't hang out with you. Um, you're too square. And finally, uh, she said, if you're, if you're gonna, if you're gonna hang out with me, you're gonna have to get high. And he wanted to date her so, you know, the, you know, the woman's lore, uh, you know, brought him into this new world and she got him high on some Alcapulco gold back in the, in the late sixties and, and, um, primo, primo. <laughs> and that literally, uh, overnight changed his reality. And instead of him going crazy and murdering people and, and all of that, he experienced the best food, the best music, the best intimacy that he had ever had in his life, um, says him. And, 
you know, that literally started him on a quest of understanding of why he was so misinformed. Why was his experience so diametrically opposed to everything that he had learned? Why was um, the the things that that he had seemed to have felt and touched and experienced that night so intense and so amazing? And then why was this plant illegal? And that started him on a quest for information. And that information uh, led to, uh, you know, a decade of more of really intense research, um, talking and reaching out to, to the community and being reached out to by the community. Um, and, and that really led to um, the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes in 1985. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, it was, it wasn't ever really a struggle for him because once he had an experience that that was so amazing, he realized that, you know, he needed to re-educate himself. And, and that really helped him to start re-educating or actually educating everybody else. And we really had no idea that it was even possible to evolve as a, as a nation where the prohibition no longer existed. We didn't think it was possible to get beyond the intimacy of the home to to being something out that you could go out there like in the hash bash and just be with a bunch of friends in the, in the field and jump into a whole bunch of rotations. But I know, I know this is not a political question, but I, I have to ask because it's one of those kind of things you wonder about. When you first experienced cannabis, what was your father's opinion of that experience? Well, he didn't know. Was he your favorite? <laughs> He, he didn't know when I first experienced cannabis because I, like every other kid, didn't want to share that with my parents. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't long after that that, you know, um, then me asking for cannabis um, was, you know, that that came about. And, um, you know, he, he was never he was never one to say, you know, don't do it. Uh, so. Uh, I, I, I can't say that it was a bad thing. There was there was I'm, never a negative. I'm actually dying to ask. So, like, uh, I, I'm assuming you smoked weed with your father, right? Uh, yes. Uh, what was he like when he was high? Well, he was always high. What? <laughs> <laughs> so what's it like hanging out? So what's it like hanging out with Dan on a Tuesday? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it would be really, really difficult if you asked me. So, was your dad? You know, what was your dad like before he got high? And I, and honestly, uh, I remember, you know, my father being, you know, very, very stern and, you know, very. I, I don't want to say militant, but you know, very structured and uh very intense and but he he took some of that and and moved it over to the to post getting high um and he was still very intense um but it was it was a, a i don't want to say a softer because <laughs> Um, although he was sort of like a gentle teddy bear to some that, that knew him and got to experience sitting down with him. Um, he was so intense and so emphatic about ending prohibition uh, that that was the only times that he was truly uh, enraged. It wasn't because he was enraged because he was high. He was enraged because of the injustices. He was enraged because of incarceration. He was enraged because of ignorance. And... Um, 
you know, him him being high was uh, just a, a, I would say it was a way of calming him down and keeping him in the moment um, that he needed to be in to, to really express his, his feelings about how disastrous prohibition was and the war on drugs were yeah. and, and, and that he would spend, you know, every, every hour of every day of his life from the 1970s to the time that he passed away, um, fighting for the, for the rights of those who uh, believed in this plant and for those who didn't believe in this plant. Um, be, you know, because just because somebody is anti-cannabis, anti-marijuana, um, doesn't mean that they would not benefit from its existence within this space. So even those that would want to suppress uh, this plant and its and and its access, uh, he fought for them too, because eventually everything that cannabis touches will touch everybody on this planet. And and if you look at today, it is beginning. It's beginning to become that. You know, people are using hemp soaps and hemp shampoos and hemp clothing and hemp energies and hemp plastics and hemp. You know, piece. You know, um, you know, hemp products for their homes. And so you know even. Even folks that that have spent a lifetime fighting against cannabis are benefiting from it, and and he knew that if we embrace this plant to its full utility, that every human would be its benefactor. I, I mean, Dan, you you uh, you're talking about also you know reminiscing and, and, and getting high with your dad. Uh, that's some of the best uh -huh. memories I have. Of, you know, Christmas time sitting with my dad and passing a joint between him, and my grandmother, my cousins, and. Um, <laughs> and, and that that just to, to have that type of family experience together, uh, you know, I, I know that means a lot, uh, meant a lot to me, you know, in my memories and such, my, my own dad. And and one of the reasons that I got into this movement was because when my dad was diagnosed with um, dementia, they gave him six months to live. And my mom had just beat breast cancer. So, they, so to, for her to get a clean bill of health and then the next month, my dad, you know, being told my dad's going to go away was devastating and in my you know at the time i was in my master's program and I, I had no idea what i wanted to do what i wanted to research i was just like hey i get a master's degree so i can get a good good government job in the future with some benefits and then to to do my research and look for a cure for my dad something that could stave it off and 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 stumbling across you know your dad's book and the research that it helped me dive into to find deeper. And when I finally read for myself on the U.S. patent website, there's a patent by the U.S. government to uh, cure people with strokes and Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, utilizing cannabinoids as a treatment, it, it infuriated me. So when you say your dad was in that constant rage and cannabis was what calmed him down, I relate to that on so many levels because I still hold that bitterness and that that rage consistently um, in my heart. And, 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 and it's a fire that keeps me wanting to get up every day and keep fighting. And and that's why, you know, there's been many times over the years where I, after my dad passed, I thought, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to hang it up as director of this chapter. I'm going to go do something else. And it's like, no, something else keeps pulling me in because it's that fire, it's that rage. And, you know, your dad um, helped light that in me. And I just want you to know that that um, you know, even though he may not be here with us, uh, his spirit does live on uh, uh, through that fire that we have in our bellies. Every day, <clears throat> every day. 
No, I, 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 I see and experience uh, his energy continuously coming back to, to me and everything that I do and the things that uh, um, I, I find myself surrounded in when I go to, you know, MJ BizCon or I go to a, a, a local um, festival that is, you know, hemp based or cannabis based, you know, whether it's a high times event or, um, you know, a, a secret sesh or, uh, you know, any any elevation of education uh, and experience while using, you know, uh, this plant and its and its possibilities. I, I get to see, you know, the effect that my father's energy put out there into the world comes back and it comes back with the inspiration of folks that are creating companies today and creating jobs and dedicating themselves to this plant and its possibilities and and really investing in in the future of, of cannabis um, whether it's in clothing or 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 you know new technologies and processing you know whether it's hemp uh, plywoods or insulations or clothing or you know further understanding of its medical attributes even though we can't really talk about it because we don't you know, we, we don't have a, a, a true scientific study uh, going on in this country, but we know that in other countries, uh, there's been, you know, huge scientific studies going on for, you know, 50, 60 years now. And and that, you know, we're not able to publish those here in the, in, in the United States, but they're being published elsewhere. And, you know, we, we get to, we get, I get to see that energy come back through all of these folks that have read this book and have been inspired by it, you know, through shows like what you're doing now, you know, these, every, everything that I experience today in some way has to do with the ring of energy that continues to, to circle back around, you know, um, you know, like waves on a shore. And, and I get to experience that at least that's the way I interpret it is is that i get you know like i've never i've never met you chris but your story of of how my father impacted you and helped you um, go through your master's program is another is another ring of energy that gets to come back to me um through these stories and the and 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 these experiences and that your energy is connected to me and it's connected to my father so it you know there's there's seldom a day that goes by where i don't feel my father's energy surrounding me and I feel uh, yeah and your dad suffered a, a pretty powerful stroke I believe it was like 10 years before he passed and it yeah. didn't seem to slow him down I know uh, it kind of affected his left hand a bit but uh, I can tell you that it did slow him down um, <laughs> the, the, you know um, he spent many years after that stroke on uh, doing anything and everything that he could to to find a way to speak again uh, to find a way to read, to find a way to walk. Um, it was, um, you know, he went from being uh, one of the most powerful voices uh, in the space um, to for a couple of years really having no voice uh, and nothing but frustration. And, uh, you know, even reading a newspaper, he, he couldn't process what he was reading. He would just end up, the one thing that he could always say was, fuck. And he would be reading a, a newspaper and just shake it and crumble it and just scream out the words. And it was just because he couldn't process what it was that he was reading. He couldn't, 
it was harder for him to make sense uh, for a while. And it took, uh, it took a couple, four or five years before he really was able to um, formulate sentences again and, and really start to be able to communicate through the devastation of the stroke. Wow. Yeah. My dad lost the ability to speak um, after a really bad stroke in 2014. And I'll never forget the first time um, I was able to get him some high quality RSO. And he started to talk again after not speaking for for years. It, it had been almost two years since he had said a word. And, and just to hear him make words, not even make a coherent sentence, but just say words brought tears to my mother and my, my, my face. And knowing that the plant has that much power and that the forces that be, the powers that be, suppress it. And, and your dad was someone who was revolutionary in bringing us that knowledge to because in, in the grand scheme of all this, um, it's the suppression of, of, of that knowledge. And in and, and this, this firsthand, like you said, we can't medically research it in this country. But I can say anecdotally that I saw my dad talk for the first time after a major stroke after, a, you know, a year and a half. Uh, with one dose and it, it it my dad passed away in 2017 we we fought for the medical marijuana yeah i mean i mean to be diagnosed in 2010 and told you got six months and you know my mom it, you know as a nurse took stellar care of him and 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 you know the sacrifices we had to make to now i remember uh having to repeat a class in my master's program because i was i got docked on my final grade two points uh because i i chose to change his diaper before i i came to my final exam and i came late to the exam and and just you know i, I would make all those choices again um and, and even more so you know I wish I had the knowledge I had in 2010 that I gained meeting up with Carlos and during the course of my master's research, studying your dad's material and, and just having access was the biggest issue. It's like now that you know what can treat someone, how do you find it? And how do you how do you not you know get in trouble and you get arrested for it? Because that's what happened to me. I, I got arrested and, and it changed my life. That's what that's what led us to the this chapter of Suncoast Normal. We're, we're losing now some of the uh, the greats of, of uh, the folks who've been working so hard. We just lost Eddie Leptis last year, which is which was tragic. And it, but I I see that the mantle is being passed, so to speak. I mean, we, we, we do. Oh, Gary, you gotta freeze there. So sometimes at the shop, you know, uh, and several other folks. There we go. Continuing to move this thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where did I leave off? <laughs> Just well, you kind of you were saying you were saying that we're we're losing some of the, the 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 legacy folks within this within the space, but the torch is being passed. There are, there are lots of folks that uh, that are becoming the new voice, um, and 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 I see that too, and and it, it does come with some uh, great hope for me, and um, also concern is is that there's there's so much. There's, there's so many new things that are happening within the space and so many new people that are coming into the space um, that have come in because of, you know, mostly at this point, um, most everybody who's new that I've been meeting is because of the economic opportunities that cannabis brings. And that doesn't necessarily translate to understanding where we've come from or the history of it, only the exploitation of, of of what its possibilities are. And so a lot of these folks don't 
don't know really what prohibition is because they don't they don't it doesn't affect them other than from a taxation level at this point. Um, they don't they don't understand that the plant that they go in and 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 have purchased flour in a store <clears throat> that 40 years ago that that didn't happen. You know the the only doors that opened back then were cell doors, and you know they don't they don't really understand um, the that this still exists even even today um that that the the you know the ghosts and the demons of prohibition uh are here they just they are touching us in different ways today and that there there are so many people that are that are becoming part of this this space this community and many of them are still not educated to why it exists only that it exists and I think that that needs to change um, because if 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 we don't understand that uh, this plant is not just here to to create economic you know you know well-being for a person or a corporation, that this plant is is here for us to use for us, um, whether it's to lower stress, you know. You know, people, you know, right now states are going, oh, is it medical? Is it recreational? Well, all cannabis is medicinal. So, so how do you, how do you, dis how, what's the difference? The difference is the narrative that states use in order to either tax it or tax it less, you know? And, and so, you know, it, it the, the narratives that we're, that we're dealing with today are because of the, the, the new people that are, coming into the space and becoming part of it and creating companies from it are not educated enough to know that it still needs uh, an advocate, not just somebody who's turning it into a product. We need advocates to fight for its freedom because it is still not free. We have paid access in this country, but we don't have legalization in this country. You know, we still have pathways to prison. We still have incarcerations. You know, we still have, you know, going to jail for having a home grow. I mean, when you when you when you look at the end of prohibition of alcohol, <clears throat> alcohol just became legal to produce. If I wanted to, you know, create a winery in my garage, I could create a hundred barrels of wine in my garage, or you know, kegs of beer, or you know, uh, you know, kegs of whiskey. I can do it. Un unabated, I can I can literally produce as much as I want as a home brewer. But with cannabis, it's like oh, you can do four plants or six plants or no plants. And if you live in a state that has access, some of the people that are within the space are saying, hey, uh, we have we have access to cannabis now, so there's no reason and there's no legal access for you to grow it at home. Or at least they've tried to put those, um, you know, things uh, in in different uh, language. Is is that, you know, prohibition is still alive and well, and and and, you know, this new this new understanding from so many people who are uneducated uh, are really perpetuating the ignorance of what prohibition was because they're not doing anything to fucking change it. Um. One of my favorite activists, uh, late activists, uh, was a friend of your father's, uh, Dennis Perrone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, started the first dispensary in the United States, uh, the yeah. Cannabis Buyers Club. 
um i you know i just have to ask that you know that that whole setting of the cannabis buyers club out in, in san francisco and the setting of the cannabis industry as it is today there's got to be a lot that is not there anymore that you kind of wish would still be around you know i just kind of want you to like kind of go into that setting and kind of like tell me what was better <laughs> well um i would say that prop 215 was uh, I, I would i would say that it was a magical time because it doesn't necessarily exist anymore it was it was for a while um, the unicorn of, of cannabis because it it allowed us to think with our hearts and and our minds and and push away any kind of fear you know just the acceptance of Prop 215 the Compassionate Care Act it, the people that voted for it even if they didn't believe in cannabis they they knew that there was something that was helping their loved ones, whether it was somebody suffering from Alzheimer's or cancer or AIDS, they knew that there was a benefit there that they couldn't explain. And they, and, and even against their own belief, thought that if, if this could help somebody, then it should be available and Proposition 215 passed. And it allowed people to think and feel with their hearts and, 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 and not fear. You know, they didn't fear prohibition. They didn't fear what would happen to the community. All they knew was that this plant could possibly help the person or, or somebody that they knew or, or their, their parents or their son or their daughter or their mother. And, and, they, and they were able to think with their hearts and feel with their hearts. And that was the magic of, of you know, Prop 215 and Dennis Perone and, you know, uh, and, you know, my, my dad, even at the time, you know, he was trying to legalize, as he always did, you know, for, you know, full use of, of, of marijuana. And him and Dennis had competing initiatives in, in 1996. And Dennis was like, Jack, we're splitting the votes and we're not going to get enough. We're not going to get enough signature uh, signatures if we're both competing against one another to have two different narratives for what's possible right now. And Dennis convinced my dad to put down uh, his California marijuana initiative and, and, and join him to help pass Prop 215. And my dad jumped in, put down uh, the, the California Cannabis and Hemp Initiative and, and jumped on with the Compassionate Care Act. And, you know, even my dad, as tough as he was and as unwavering in his views on all cannabis should be legal, and that you know everybody who's been arrested for cannabis should be let out of jail he realized that there was a great need for compassion and love and 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 the belief in this plant could help and and set his own beliefs aside for a moment and helped to pass 215 with dennis and for the years following that um you know there was a there was a time where where stores felt and worked and operated compassionately. That's, you know, these co-ops that existed, um, they truly existed for the patients for a while. And then, you know, as as money does, it, it changes narratives, it changes perspectives. Um, it changed the perspective with the state when they realized that there was so much compassionate cannabis being uh, grown and potentially sold. 
that they weren't being, uh, that wasn't being taxed, that they had to figure a way to end Prop 215. And that's what started all of these cockamamie other initiatives to create um, recreational. And that's when you, that's when you started hearing the difference between medicinal cannabis. Oh, do you use it for medicine? <laughs> or, or do you use it for recreation? Um, and, and going back to my first statement is that all cannabis use is medicinal. If you're stressed out at your job, if you're crazed with what the last two years of, of, of you know, being confined in your home or restricted in travel uh, because of COVID, you know, the stresses that, that, that's put on families and, you know, personalities and businesses and, and, and the way that you feel internally, if cannabis is helping it, then it's medicinal. And if all cannabis is medicinal, then why are we being taxed? Why are we being extorted uh, from our, from our, you know, from the, you know, from, you know, the states, the cities, the the counties that the that these plants are being grown in? And so the the real difference between, um, you know, the cannabis buyers club and today um, is. In most cases, and, and I'm not saying all because I know a lot of store owners that are committed to this plant, but because corporations have come into the space, um, it is it is becoming, uh, in some cases, as corrupt as anything that that prohibition was behind. Yeah, Dan, in our last segment, you know, on, on a previous episode, um, I was reviewing, you know, this stuff that you get in the legal states. Um, from these multi-state operators versus what you get here in the D.C. area from the from the legacy market guys in this gray market. And this is, you know, 16 percent THC. When you smoke it, you know, it, it has a it has some type of flavor to it um, that, that just you know, doesn't really sit right. And it's it's fifty four dollars plus tax. So you spend over sixty dollars for this. And this is from New Jersey. And then this from D.C. tastes good. Uh, you know, it hits you better, uh, it, it tastes cleaner, and uh, it costs $25, and there's no taxes. You know? Yeah, and, um, and, it, and it doesn't taste today, like a campfire. Today, <clears throat> today it costs $25. Yeah. And, and today <laughs> today it's still from a legacy market. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, all of these things, unfortunately, are changing. And, and I, I'd like to think that... Um, I would hope that government will will make it better, but the the one thing about government is it truly never really makes anything better. Um, and you know, but do you uh, see Gavin like, Newsom like, doing more for it than the Jerry Brown did in California? Uh, I I I don't believe uh, in anything that uh, Gavin Newsom says or does uh, with regards to uh, virtually anything, especially that in cannabis. <clears throat> I think, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so sorry. You know, we, we had here in California the best opportunity to do it right. We had, we had the shining example of what Prop 215 was, um, what it represented, uh, how it reached the people, how it didn't threaten communities. Um, but then everything changed and they started creating this new narrative of fear and where where a dispensary or a compassionate access place could open up and you know the state of california says oh we're going to create all these laws so 
so that, you know, um, organized crime cannot be involved in cannabis and that, you know, they would, they would track the flower, they would track the money, they would track how it was grown, where it was grown, how it was transported. <clears throat> and all that really did was turn the state of California and all its municipalities into the same drug kingpins that they had been fighting against. You know, they were talking about getting rid of the mob, but our, our state and, and local municipalities became the mob. They became those that said, look, you're going to grow this cannabis. You're going to pay this much tax just to grow it, this much tax to transport it, this much tax to process it, this much tax to, to sell it, and we're going to track it all. And then once it's done, you're going to give us all of your money because we're going to tax every bit of it from you. And then you're going to get back out there on the street corner, sell that flower, and bring me my money, bitch. And, and that's, that's the state of California and every other state that is in this space that is allowing, allowing cannabis access. Um, play by their rules, just like the mob. Grow where they say, create green zones. Like, hey, you can only grow here. You can only grow here, you know? Um, and, and really... Uh, constrain everything that this plant is and how we operate and, and push legacy people that have hearts out of the business so it can be replaced with people that have no freaking hearts. Um, you know, your, your, you know, bigger corporations, I'll leave their names off of this, uh, <laughs> We, we don't mind. Oh, yeah. You might not have missed our last episode. <laughs> we slammed the largest multi-state operator in the country. We just we just had to call it out because here in Florida, um, you know, you mentioned organized crime. And, and it turns out that the largest multi-state operator in the country, uh, uh, husband, went to jail here in Florida for bribing a Tallahassee city councilman uh, so they could pass, sure. yeah, you know, so they could pass moratoriums to ban uh, dispensaries to allow, uh, you know, competition, basically, because they were already grandfathered in uh, around the moratoriums and such. And they didn't know anything about growing cannabis, but they they, they, they bought the politicians they needed to buy. But they, but they had 30 years of nursery work yeah exactly but right. no 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 yeah, cannabis exactly work. exactly it's and, yeah. and and now you pay 70 dollars for an eighth of of, of mid-level stuff that may have mold may have pesticide uh that from the 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 um the the leaked photos we get from their grow houses have have pests in them and, and they just have no clue of, of what they're, they're growing it's sunshine booth for for lack of a better word no, that's yeah. a good word actually <laughs> and don't forget, we also created Adam Bierman over here. He came from here. So we apologize for that, even though we didn't have any, any say in what he was doing. But he, he did a lot of damage to the industry to show just how bad things could be run. Well, well, Gary, on the other side, you know, politicians use the excuse, what about the kids? And uh, the Journal of Adolescent Health just put out a study where they had a cohort of over 12,500 young adults from 18 to 25, where they looked at their, their use of alcohol, nicotine, non-prescribed pain pills uh, in Washington state following the adult use of cannabis. And their consumption of alcohol, cigarettes, and, and, and legal pills fell following the, the, the legalization of marijuana uh, in that state. So, you know, the argument that we need to overregulate this to save the kids is absolutely bullshit. And politicians need to stop using it, like you said, Dan. 
Well, you, you just answered in a sense your own, you, you know, your own question without, if, if, you're, if you're subverting the dollars from prescription, from, al- from prescription pills, from alcohol and cigarettes, uh, then you've got, you know, you've got three of the top lobbyists against why cannabis should be even further restricted. Yeah. And we've got Congresswomen like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's heavily involved in the alcohol industry, and for some odd reason, never seems to vote for things that we need in regards to this industry. Go figure. <laughs> it's all, it's all, about the, all about the dollars. But California, it seems like it's a microcosm of, of the, uh, the federal laws because you have a huge patchwork of all the different county laws and municipality laws that cause all sorts of chaos in California. And yet still, I think California is still way ahead of Florida course it doesn't help that we have DeSantis who uh, has not really helped our industry whatsoever and a lot of other issues but he's he's helped himself to those campaign donations from the existing industry it's just the the, when you say industry Gary you're you're talking about the mom and pop folks like Carlos and other small business owners who want to move from being you know hemp retailers to being medical marijuana retailers but they because of vertical integration that's just not a possibility now, I was over in Vegas a couple of years ago and <clears throat> had to go to the Jack Hare Cup because, you know, it was, it was a cool thing to do. And, and one of our members uh, here actually won one of the, the, the awards for the best CBD chocolate. I, I posted that picture for you. I don't know if you still have it or not. He, he's sitting there with, it, with his big ass glass chalice and he was, he was so thrilled. But it was interesting to see all the different uh, strains and all the different nurseries that we don't even get a chance to hear about. Here in Florida, that that show that there is so much that there is so much out there that's better, that if they could ever get to us, somehow, would would make the industry a better place. We don't have to be, be like we were in the '80s, where you know what you got was basically what they had to sell, and usually it was you know brown brickweed. I even found I went through some of my old double albums the other day, and I found brown brown crumbs in the center of all of them, and I knew exactly what that stuff was. <laughs> I didn't dare smoke it though. <laughs> oh, Gary, that's the best stuff to smoke. I remember one time going on vacation to Jamaica, and uh, we had a blunt uh, of, of some purple Kush that got in Jamaica that got stuck in my bathroom bag. And I found it like six months later, and I smoked it with my grandmother. Uh, unfortunately, she, she, she wanted to go to the emergency room after having a panic attack after that. But it was some <laughs> strong shit, man. <laughs> but with, with things like the, like, like the, the Jack Hair Cup and stuff, you're continuing to, to forward the knowledge and, and – situations in regards to cannabis uh, across the country what else is the jack harrow foundation now doing what else are you doing right now well the jack harrow foundation always continues uh to educate as much as we can um you know we we've we've spent the last seven or eight years um we you know we've been invited to other countries to speak um you know i've been uh, i've been able to uh, spend some time in Thailand just prior to its becoming uh, more cannabis uh, accepting. Um, I've been to Spain, um, England, uh, to uh, Nepal, South America, Mexico, um, with regards to just educating folks on the possibilities and and really in some cases, even trying to help reintroduce their own culture back to the culture in which I'm visiting, because cannabis has been part of, uh, you know, so many countries 
legacies and 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 stories for you know thousands of years, but still haven't re-embraced uh, cannabis since the Single Convention Act of 1961, where virtually every country in the world made cannabis illegal with the signing of of you know with the signature on a piece of paper, and uh, so the the foundation continues to, to educate in any way in every way that we can. Uh, this year we're doing uh, a fundraiser uh, down in Laguna Beach. We're going to do a Jack Hour Foundation golf tournament. Uh, we're raising money for a brick and mortar uh, museum. Uh, this museum uh, will hopefully be located in downtown Los Angeles in the Green Street building. Um, there's uh, approximately 4,500 square feet uh, available for development for this museum. We just need to raise about a half a million dollars to build it out. Uh, and then another, you know, $350,000 a year in order to run it because the, the space is expensive. Um, but hopefully it'll be the, the first true uh, cannabis and hemp museum uh, here in the United States uh, that will be permanent and, and really reflect not just cannabis and and its attributes here in the development of this country but you know what's really going on in the space what what prohibition was how we've how we've started to exit from it i hope um what the possibilities are in the future where we are medicinally speaking where we are med um, medically speaking where we are scientifically speaking and and really have a a very uh diverse um, presentation of all things cannabis from, you know, um, the Egyptian god Shashat, who was depicted in, in the pyramids, you know, be sometime between five and 10,000 years ago um, with, a, you know, a, a depiction of the cannabis leaf above her head as she's doing mathematics and accounting. Um, you know, there, there's so much to, to learn about the history of cannabis that doesn't that doesn't include incarceration. That you know people people need to know that this wasn't a plan that was feared. This was a plant that was revered. That you know you know international commerce and circumnavigating the globe was powered by cannabis. It wasn't powered by diesel. Um, you know that that great economies that were able to um, be delivered from one continent to another. Uh, didn't happen by steamship initially. It happened by sailors and ships that only, only uh, transported these goods because of cannabis. And that, the story about the War of 1812 okay. in the book to, to emphasize that to a lot of people that it, this was actually a war over hemp more than anything else. Yeah. As, as, as many wars are, they're, they're fought over a woman. <laughs> whether, it's the, whether it's the female or male hemp plant or uh you know uh. well danny you, you pointed out the, the the egyptian goddess Shashat, um and and in her role as the goddess who measures they depict her with the cannabis uh hemp leaf in, in her headdress 
uh, I just think that's actually kind of ironic, the goddess who measures. And so, you know, uh, basically the ancient Egyptians were uh, put it in stone. Don't cheat your weed dealer. There's a goddess watching you, you know? <laughs> yeah, know, the goddess, know your you know, 3.5 is 3.5, you know, regardless of, of the BC or AD, you know? Uh, yeah, but, you know, I mean, but the fact that, you know, even our founding fathers today, uh, as we look, as we look back, uh, you know, and you're there in Washington D.C., you know, there there's a monument there to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, you know, there's um, there. I mean, when, when you know, yeah, I was, whether I was just there last weekend. Yeah, well, whether it's Washington or Jefferson, you know, these these people today would potentially be put in prison for life. You know, Thomas yeah. Jefferson was smuggling cannabis from Europe into the United States to help give us our independence from from the source of goods that we were transporting from from England. And, you know, for for us to to not have an understanding that this plant was so important that, you know, our founding fathers risked their lives and their freedoms in order to smuggle it into this new land before, you know, in and before it was a country. Um, it, it's extraordinary that that the importance of this plant became uh, so much so that it was it was mandated to grow. It was something that you could pay your taxes with. Um, it was something that was con considered legal tender. It made our rope. It made yeah. our paints. It made our glues. It made our 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 you know in, in some cases even gunpowder. You know, but it, it was the, the, the lamp oil for, for our street lamps. It was the, the grease for the wagon's wheels that came west that was covered in cannabis. You know, um, you know, these were things that were important to the development of this country, and our founding fathers were responsible for it. Today, they would be incarcerated for it. Yeah. And, and it is just, you know, when, when you talk about learning about history or eliminating history or, or having it just not even exist, uh, it's extraordinary the things that are happening in and around this country um, through the narrative of the, of the loudest bullhorns that are out there. And these are things that we need to continue to change. And that only is changed by voices like yours and shows like this and, the, and not just the continuation of creating commerce with cannabis, but being able to create common sense with the understanding of cannabis. And, and there's, there's so much to do. And from the foundation standpoint, you know, we look to educate and re-educate and, and, and make it available, you know, through sites like uh, Amazon. Uh, you know, you can go to Amazon and go to the 14th edition of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. You can order it for digital download that's interactive. So you can literally... Uh, on your on your iPhone or your you know your <clears throat> your desktop or your iPad or you know whatever device you have, you can download a copy of the Emperor for nine ninety nine, and and literally not just read about history, but click on the hyperlinks within it and actually go to documentaries, testimonials, um, and it really expands what the Emperor is. And 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 you know as you're reading about you know, 1942's um, Temp for Victory, the United States Department of Agriculture film that was made for the United States Department of Defense. As you're reading about that history and the emperor, 
you can click on the hyperlink in, in, the, in the digital version, and it'll take you to that 14-minute video of Hep for Victory, and you can see the United States government almost for the first time tell the complete truth without using fear. But, you know, of course they had to use some level of fear in this thing that they've already started to create the, na the narrative. But for, you know, for 14 minutes, they, they say how important this plant was. And, 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 you know, and then they say, oh, well, wait a minute, the seeds are dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really quite absurd. But what they do recognize is that for more than 5,000 years, this plant was made for everything. It, and, and it was responsible for the health, wealth, and security of countries, which is why we needed to grow it for the war. In order to create a free world, we needed to grow cannabis. And this was the most patriotic thing that you could do. So go, 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 go grow cannabis. And, and then as soon as the war was over, it was like, oh, no, no, no. You know, we don't even recognize that we even made this film or that it was even a propaganda film or, you know, and then to go so far as to call my father a fraud for finding a copy of it and mass producing it on, on VHS tapes and showing the, you know, the, abs you know, the absurd, you know, um, you know, positions of, of this government and, and how far they would go. Um, to cover up their 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 own good deeds and for sure all of their misdeeds. I do have the DVD of the book. It's a lot, a lot of fun to watch, and of course, a lot of folks who have passed away are now on that that DVD. Is it still out there in print somewhere? Uh, I'm or sorry. What, the the DVD that? of the book for Emperor's Wears No Clothes. Sorry, we had to cut down on, on our mics over here because we have a car show out here that continues to blur music no matter how many times we beat them down. <laughs> well, the, the, the actual book is available through uh, Amazon. The DVD, I'm not producing it currently, but we are looking to reproduce that book on DVD. Um, but so many people don't uh, even have DVD players anymore because everything <laughs> yeah. streams. Um, but, it, but it's certainly a, a great asset for doing presentations. Hey, Dan, is the book available in audiobook by chance? No, I, I, I've, I've toyed around with it a little you bit. Should ask, you should ask Malcolm to, to narrate it. He said he's got that voice. He, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. I, I download that off of Amazon if he was narrating it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would be, I, it would be great to figure out a way to tell that story, but I think um, to do a book narration, I would, I would almost think that it would take multiple talents in order to do it because the because the structure, the, the structure of the book is not necessarily um a a single story you know it it, it bounces around as bits and pieces of it's of history and facts yeah and i i think it i think it could be more powerful if different voices different you know different energies represented different parts of the book uh, oh, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that I'm right, but it's it's sort of you know what 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 has come up in in my own thought process on on what it would take to create a uh, an audio version of it. Oh no, I think that that's the right thinking. I, I got an audio Bible myself, and it has Morgan Freeman and, and Samuel Jackson, and it has uh, Louis Gossett Jr. So yeah, I think you you can really create something great when you do have a, an amalgamation of different stories and different voices to to tell it. 
you know, so it, it's just an undertaking. I, I have not had the bandwidth to really deal with. I understand. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, the, the space of cannabis, hemp, whatever you want to, you know, um, you know, call what it is that we're, we're, we're spending our time in and with today uh, is moving so fast. It, you know, it's like it's like this can of train never, ever stops. Sometimes it'll slow down, but most of the time it's a high speed rail train. And um, it is moving much faster than we can react to in many cases. And, well, and so many just, of the, the, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say just this week, the, the US appeals court upheld uh, Delta 8 and other cannabis derived uh, consumer products uh, I mean, hemp derived uh, cannabis products. So, you know, the whole we, we had a, a, some doctors on earlier this year to talk about the whole reason, you know, we have Delta 8, Delta 10, THCO, and, and all these new hemp derived cannabinoid products is because of prohibition. And, and because states aren't moving fast enough because of taxes and such, you know, Carlos makes his money selling uh, hemp products there in the store. I mean, and people need access for their pets, too. I mean, people aren't going to wait around for their dog to stop having seizures uh, for, 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 you know, the, the politicians to pass it for for pets. You know, people go get their their dog, their hemp products and such. But, um, you know, to the point that uh, there are so many great applications for the plant and people don't know it. And your your father's book and, and the work you all continue to do to to spread that knowledge uh, is amazing, and that's you know it, it enlightens people in ways that uh, like like we started at the beginning of the show uh, connects us uh, all together. So we wanted to thank you for for coming on. Are there any projects that your foundation has uh, coming up that you want to highlight for folks? You know, really, just uh, the building of this brick and mortar foundation uh, museum, I, I think, is something that will. Um, pay dividends with regards to changing narratives and understandings and and bringing down these these walls of fear and trepidation um, and and really help to expand and enlighten folks to 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 embrace this plant and its possibilities uh, for decades and 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 generations to come and and I, I a lot of that has to do with just being able to have real information that's available that that people can you know like reading it is one thing and it can inspire you like this book inspires you know people to 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 look at cannabis differently but when you're able to to see uh, and potentially touch the the history behind cannabis I, I think that that is a very very powerful tool uh, in, in, a, in a way that the book, is is not going to uh, be sufficient, and and I think that uh, allowing somebody to walk through um, a, a facility where they can literally see the people that they've been reading about in in their you know school textbooks or you know college you know um, you know uh, courses. And, and see how diverse these people were uh, as the founding persons within, within this country uh, or even globally, uh, I think that that will take the change and understanding of cannabis to yet another level. And at the same time, now that the, the emperor's in digital format, um, we're gonna be able to update the book in more real-time capacity. So at any time, 
um, as the book is available through Amazon, will be able, instead of changing my father's original story in the original pages, that we'll have addendums to the back of uh, the book nice. that would be attributed to the stories in the beginning of the book. So that way I'm not rewriting chapters. I'm not trying to uh, change the, the work that my father and so many did, you know, did in order to produce the emperor that, but that we're able to um, ha have more of a living document uh, that as we uncover information that we can verify that we can attribute it to things that my father wasn't able to research when, you know, what the technologies that we have today weren't available in 1985 or 1990 or even, you know, in, in 2009, um, which was the last time that the book was officially, you know, uh, updated and, and republished. But, but now we have the ability to put new information in without changing the original story. And I think that that's going to be uh, something very powerful as we make our first uh, uh, update later this year. As historians like myself and, and, and Carlos and Chris, we always believe that, you know, that the truth that is out there will be truth for, for forever. And we're, we're glad that you're, you're building on that knowledge because it is so important for people to get out there and, and, and tell the story and let people continue to evolve until we get to the point where we do have. And I'm going to scratch the word re uh, recreational because I hate it uh, and, and, and just call it adult use or responsible adult use, because that is basically what we're looking at, because that is the way. To, to access this without thinking it is just strictly for stoners, you know, him. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if you all want to get more involved in the movement, if you want to uh, learn more information, you can go to suncoastnormal.org, uh, become a member of our chapter. Um, you know, as, as Suncoast Normal, we don't take paychecks to do this. And as much as I know Gary and, and Carlos and myself all wish we got paid to do this, we don't. We do this because... It, the money goes back into the org, goes back into our advocacy efforts. We continue to push to show that this is is a plant that folks can, you know, be responsible and sustainable capitalists in in utilizing it, uh, you know, uh, for commerce. Um, but also that people should not be making money on this plant if there's people still in jail for trying to make money off of this plant. And so as a civil rights organization, our mission continues until all responsible cannabis users have safe access, which means one, safe, meaning that you don't have any repercussions in society, like uh, going to jail, like losing your kids, uh, like uh, risking some type of health care or losing your job. And and when we say accessible, meaning that it's affordable, uh, meaning that, you know, hopefully if your doctor says you need it, uh, that your medical insurance will eventually pay for it. And we're working to create that world and create those paradigms and policies. And, and we, we this work that we have, again, is all because of our amazing guest today and his family and the work that they continue to pioneer. And so I just want to say thank you very much, Dan, for joining us on the show. And uh, any parting words you want to leave uh, the folks at home with? Yeah, the truth is out. And cannabis is the future. Is really it. That's powerful. There you go. I guess I guess we're gonna end it right here. Yeah, I would I would leave it right there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. This has been the rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. 
go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member because that is how you become part of the change. You can find the Rotation Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes, but you can always join us in the Rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, Find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary. And good night. Good night.